0: This is Iron Sports. Um, we've had a lot of great authors on the show over the last couple of years, but of course now we're going to have arguably the greatest sports author writing right today, Jeff Perlman. You might have read many of his books on uh, the '86 Mets, Barry Bonds, the Cowboys, Roger Clemens, Walter Perry, Walter, pa- Walter Payton, Brett Favre, and of course his Laker books, uh, Three Ring Circus, and his famous book Showtime. Jeff Perlman, thanks a lot for coming on Iron Sports.
1: Uh there's no way, there's no, arguing, or there's no argument that can be made that I am the greatest sports writer living today, but it is incredibly kind of you to say that. But I could probably name, I know I can name many better than me, but thank
0: you. <laughs> I don't, but you're the only one that has a TV show. Like, you're the only one that, I mean, there's a lot of people writing great books, but you're the only one with the TV show that everyone's watching that I've now watched twice that I've, that I've I'm probably on my third one because I keep trying to get everyone to watch it. We talk about it on our show all the time. And i read your book now twice because I read your book 10 years ago, Showtime. And for, in preparation for this interview, I read it again this weekend.
1: Wow. Well, when I was a kid coming up and my mom said, you know, what's your goal? What do you want to do in life? I said, one day, 30 years from now. I just want to be on Ira's show, and I want him to tell me that I'm the greatest sports writer of all time, and then I'll know I made it. And if I have a TV show and he watched it, and then he read my book, I really know I made it. So I will say, I have made it.
0: Well, we, can, we've had we've had we've had Seth Wickersham on our show. We had John Feinstein. So I've had some good ones. But uh, but yeah, those I, guys are awesome. I, <laughs> those
1: guys are amazing.
0: Just in the past month. But anyway, let's, let's turn to Showtime. And you write this book in 2014, and everyone loves it. It's a great book about the Lakers and about Magic and Kareem and Jerry Buss. And then how does this, how is our people that are reading about this, that were not even lie back then, and everyone is watching this TV show, how did the book become this, this TV show 10 years later?
1: I mean, a lot of it was luck. Like a, it really, in fact, almost all of it. In fact, all of it was luck. I was, um, I wrote the book. It came out in 2014. People, you know, have asked me, did you, did you think one day it would become blank? I, no, never, never, ever, ever. I just wrote the book. That's it. And, um, we were living in New Rochelle, New York at the time. And a writer named Jim Hecht, whose major screen credit was, uh, one of the animated films an animated film, um, called me and said, I really love this book. I really think it could be something. Would you be willing to meet me? And I didn't, I was just like, ah, whatever. I don't really buy this. But if you want to come to my house, you can have dinner with us. So his name's Jim Hex. He came Easter Sunday, I think 2014. And because um, we're all Jewish, he's Jewish. He came to our house. And he showed up and he just sort of went on and on, why this could be this. And if you would just give me a chance with the rights, blah, blah, blah. And I didn't have anything going on, so I, I gave him the rights to the book, never thought anything of it. Through the years, he would give me updates. I never took it seriously. And then um, one day, a couple years ago, he said, uh, Adam McKay wants to meet us at his house. And I didn't know who that was, so I Googled Adam McKay, and it turns out he's done a ton of huge movies, like The Big Short, and he did Don't Look Up more recently, and you know, a million different things. And... Uh, we went to Adam McKay's house in California, and he's saying how much he loves it. And I still didn't believe it. I just didn't believe it. I was like, okay, whatever. And then one day I'm home, and a friend of mine sends me a press release about Adrian Brody being cast in this HBO show based <laughs> on my book. And then I get another release about John C. Riley, and then I get the one—the big one—was Sally Field. Actually, I I texted my wife and I said, okay, an enormous actress, I think biggest actress you could think of, is going to be in a series based on my book. Who is it? And she said, Meryl Streep. And I said, no. And she said, Sally Field. And I said, yes. And it just kind of took off from there. It's been crazy.
0: Um, the idea is also there was a point that there was an issue with McKay because maybe Will Ferrell was going to be in as the character mm-hmm. of Jerry Buss instead of was John Riley. I think the one thing about the TV show that I love is the casting. These characters are amazing. And from Michael Chiklis as Red Auerbach, and uh, Quincy Isaiah's performance of Magic Johnson is unbelievable. I mean, it is, it's is—it's like you went back in time and put Magic in there. i It's its probably the hardest job because we don't know these other characters. Many people haven't seen Inners with Jerry Buss, but people see Magic every day. They hear him see him on TV. He probably had the toughest job in terms of carrying off Magic.
1: I mean, the casting has been ridiculous. It's been so good. And I knew, I will say, from very early on, it was clear how seriously they took this Um I remember I got a call from someone in the uh, props department and they said, uh, do you have any idea what material the 1979 Lakers summer league jerseys would have been made of because we really want to replicate it. And like when I went on set early on, they had the basketballs that they used in 1979 and I, I, but they didn't buy old basketballs. They made, they recreated the 79 basketballs to all the specifics you could think of. It reminded me of when uh, James Cameron was making Titanic and he'd read about the sort of madness that he went through to make it accurate. And they did the same. And the, ca- I mean, to me, the I agree, John C. Riley, amazing. Sally Field, amazing. Brody, amazing. But the casting of Kareem and Magic, I mean, they could have taken a thousand years and I don't think they could have cast it any better than, than than those two guys. It's just uncanny.
0: When I'm in Los Angeles, I go to the sports club, LA, which is like Equinox, and I see Magic and I would... I run on the treadmill Magic isn't like you know in a private room. He's in the middle of the gym and so when you're running for an hour on a treadmill and you watch Magic and he interacts because I always wear Penn State stuff when I was there and he's met Michigan State and he would yell at me and I once yeah. bought him breakfast. But anyway, so the point is that you see him interact. That's magic. The magic you show in this or in the book and also in the TV show, that is magic even now because he's, he's hugging everyone, talking to everyone in the middle of the floor at 7 o'clock in the morning on a Tuesday while he's trying to get his workout in and with his aging knee and everything and that's that's and he and i think that uh quincy isaiah played him absolutely perfectly
1: yeah and we um i've gotten to know quincy a bit um we had a party at our house and i've gotten to a few events and blah blah blah. he's lovely like he's such a nice guy and he really is very outgoing and very extroverted and he's also from michigan and he's a former college athlete and he just has this thing about him uh a magnetism that's really beautiful and the other thing i mean my favorite, I always say this, my favorite thing about the show by far is it's not the big stars. It's all these guys who are now starring in an HBO show. Uh, like the guy who plays Michael Cooper, Delonte D'Souza. Uh, a year and a half ago, he was flipping houses in Maryland. And he sees a casting call. And he just does it via Zoom because it was during the pandemic. And he winds up getting this role as Michael Cooper in an HBO series. Uh, the guy who plays Mark Landsberger, Austin Aaron, was a former Cal wide receiver who is trying to make it in acting, and he he tried out for this role. I mean, on and on and on, the stories of guys, out-of-nowhere guys, who suddenly find themselves in a hit series, it warms my heart. Did
0: they ask you to go back when they, because I know there's an emphasis in the Moot TV show that's different than the book. The book has a lot of about the games and about the players. it's There is a little, it's an emphasis. Uh, did they have to actually ask you to go back and do further research about different things? I know that there's a character, the magic development back in Lansing is in the TV show, not so much in the book. Um, Jeannie Buss' role is, is changed. Was that something that they asked you to do, or did they just do on their own? How was that done?
1: No, they they did some really, really, they hired a bunch of researchers. They did a ton of research. I mean, it's, I guess you would say it's based on my book. And they paid me for the rights and all that. But they also, you know, read everything you could find about the Lakers. So any other book that was written about that time period, they were reading. Um, they had me. I, I definitely sent them all my notes from the reporting experience of Showtime. And I did dig a little deeper when they needed it. But I'm telling you, they they were so meticulous and so dedicated to the reporting um, that they took it to a different level. They really did.
0: There Are you hurt by some of the criticism, they missed a fact here, a fact there, in terms of like when the first Laker game was played, it was in Boston, um, those type of things, who was sitting around the room when they were arguing about hamburger or sand dabs when the uh, Magic had the dinner with uh, Bus and Cook. Um, there were some of those airs, and then I think that sort of overshadowed the fact this was just an amazing TV show.
1: Well, it's all, I totally get it. I mean, I've said to my wife a million times, I'm a horrible, so I'm a horrible viewer of sports movies. Horrible. I hate 42. I hate We Are Marshall. I hate Remember the Titans. I, I mean, I just, I can't watch them. Moneyball because I watch them and I see all the leaps they take, right? And and it bothers me as a sports guy. It bothers me. So I can't say I, I'm thrilled with it all. I just, you just come to a realization that this is sort of the process. And the guy who plays Jack McKinney is a veteran actor, stage actor named Tracy Letts. And I had him on my podcast a while ago and I asked him about it and he said, The thing is, real life is boring. He said if you would really if you were just gonna depict real life as events happen, it'd be boring. You'd have Jerry West walk into an office, you'd have him go to the bathroom, you'd have him scratch his nose. Like you this is not a documentary. It's a, you know, dramatic series and you have to accept that. So for me it definitely was an adjustment because when you write books your facts, 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 facts. So it, it wasn't—I it, can't lie—it it wasn't easy for me at first. It was a little hard for me to sort of grasp and understand and accept and embrace. And then once I did, I was—I became comfortable with it. I, I don't know any other alternative.
0: We had Paul Westhead on the show about two months ago, about a month and a half ago, right before the final. So we talked to him about the book. And, of course, he said, well, I didn't quote Shakespeare all the time. But he didn't say, oh, I hate this. It's terrible. I don't like the depiction of me. He seemed like, you know, he's watched everything. We also had Dan Shaughnessy on the show who wrote the book, Wish It Would Lasted Forever, from the Celtics' perspective. And uh, so it's interesting. We've had all these concepts. But I know Jerry West was upset about his portrayal, even though he wrote a book called – about West by West, my charm West tormented life. Yeah, where he talked about how he was his book was titled was my charm tormented life. So it, as much as he was not unhappy with how the book, how the movie portrayed him, he wrote it in his own autobiography, quoting like Charles Barkley. I was misquoted in my own autobiography.
1: Well, I always say like you have to understand. So you're, I say this to people with the show. In fact, I've said this a million times. Like you're Jerry West, and you're home watching the show. And you had nothing to do with the show. You weren't paid by the show. You weren't a a consultant with the show. And I'm not saying he should have been, but he wasn't. And you're home watching it, and here's this character, Jerry West, based on you. And, you know, you're not happy with some of the things they've done with it. Um, I totally get it. Like, I totally get it. I understand. If there was a story about – if there was a TV series about journalists in Southern California – And they had a character named Jeff Perlman who has a (laughs) wife named Catherine and lives in the same town and blah, blah, I'd be like, wait, this isn't, I didn't, that's not cool. So I totally get it. That said, I just don't think, I think, number one, the depiction ultimately is very flattering. And number two, if you read his book and you read about him, it's a pretty fair depiction. Like that's what I don't understand. It's actually a very fair depiction. So I find it a little weird that he's so upset. In a way, I would understand Westhead being more upset than Jerry West, because I kind of, you know, with Westhead it's definitely feels a little more exaggerated. Like Westhead was a really smart guy; he was a very smart coach. Um, West, I think they kind of nailed, to be honest with you.
0: And then I know Kareem was upset about the book, but. Who I mean Kareem was said, well, like I was this nice uh gargate you know gregarious guy. He wasn't. I mean that was so I that's where be upset his portrayal. I mean I again I think that there was a lot of good things. I mean if you watch I think the first episodes, West, was one thing. But as it goes on, you saw how he was the, you know, he was very, hold the steady course when he went and took McKinney aside and said, you know, meet halfway with this team. And you saw how the genius of West throughout it, picking the players, working with the players, I think it made him look good. And as the, as the, I think people looked at maybe the first episode and not the other nine.
1: I know, you know, I just, honestly, I tried to see it from their perspective and you're home watching the show and there's a character based on you and you had no involvement like I actually get it. I'm not saying they're right, I'm not saying they're wrong, but I do understand what it is to be Kareem or Jerry West watching this huge show on HBO with a character based on you and thinking, "Wait, that I don't I don't I don't like this. I don't I don't I'm not I don't feel good about this." Like again, if they did a show on journalists and it was me, I I'd, I'd under I'd try feel the same way. So I actually get it.
0: The, the central point of the whole TV show, your book, everything is Jerry Buss and how Jerry Buss buys this team and, and not just Jerry Buss, but just the changing of the NBA. I mean, the fact that I go to all these NBA final games, I, I travel around and you see the music and the dancers and this. And it wasn't how basketball was and how did Jerry Buss's vision of this is really what we see today, not just in basketball, but in all sports. And I think that's what you emphasize in your book and also with the Forum Club and also with the movie. I think that's what makes that's what's so exciting about from the business perspective of building this brand and building the sport.
1: I mean, the guy was a freaking visionary. There's no doubt about it. And he's in the Basketball Hall of Fame. He should be in the Basketball Hall of Fame. His impact on the game, I always say, you kind of love it or you hate it. When you go to a basketball game and there's nonstop entertainment and there's nonstop music and there's not a moment for you to catch your breath or think or have a quiet moment to turn to your kid and say, oh, did you see that dunk? Because the music is blasting in your ear or someone's shooting a T-shirt cannon into the stands or the dancing girls are coming out, you know, whatever, that's all Jerry Buss. And he saw the NBA not as a basketball venue, but as an entertainment venue. Um, So when you look at the modern league and you see how huge it is and how it's much closer, I mean, it's far surpassed, far surpassed Major League Baseball and is much closer to the NFL than it is to Major League Baseball as far as popularity nowadays. I mean, that's all, it's always been a beautiful game. I agree with Jerry Buss, basketball is a beautiful, beautiful sport. But he really saw ways to sort of market that. Uh, The NBA owes that guy, I mean, everything.
0: And Paul Westhead um, credited Jack McKinney in terms of coming up with Showtime, saying, look, if Jack McKinney doesn't crash that bike, we're going to be talking Jack McKinney as one of the greatest coaches of all time, the one with multiple titles. You mentioned that in the book also. I mean, that is sort of he's the lost character in this in terms of that he had that injury so early in the season, but Westhead and even Riley took upon what McKinney had. And even, you know, Westhead made something smart. He goes, Riley ran McKinney's system better than Westhead ran McKinney's system. That's why in some ways Westhead got fired is because Riley actually implemented it more.
1: I mean, I'm all in on the Jack McKinney fan club. I actually have a... After the book came out, out, he wrote me a really lovely letter that I have framed in my office. Um, I think it's one of the great tragedies in sports. I also, one of the things I love about the series, like love, love, love about the series, is that people know the name Jack McKinney again. People are watching the show, and it means something. You know, he was really forgotten to history. He barely coached the the Lakers. He came back later and was kind of diminished. Um, And yeah, I mean, it's not like, is it as simple as, Pat Riley took over the McKinney system and ran it and, you know, blah, blah, blah. No, like Riley was an amazing coach. Riley adapted to his players. And Riley is one of the great examples in modern coaching history of taking what you have, seeing what you have, and accurately utilizing it, which is no easy trick. Um, But the basis of it all was McKinney and his system and this idea that we're going to run, we're going to stop being this stilted offense. Uh, So if he's getting his due because of this show, it makes me so happy.
0: And the other what the characters between magic and norm nixon and i did not realize until i looked was doing the research that norm nixon is played by his son which is pretty cool um Correct. In, in that at the scene where at the white party uh at Don at, at sterling's house and they played the basketball on that court is i mean i can't get that out of my mind but you really in the book developed into it and also the TV show about how this Nixon and the rivalry between magic and Nixon, but then how they you know, later on became closer and closer until the end where they actually magic might've forced Nixon out, but it was, it was that, uh, whatever between Nixon and magic.
1: Well, first of all, it's cool. Cause, um, Devon Nixon is his son. He plays him and Devon was also, he was Whitney Houston's son in the bodyguard and he was, um, He played the kid in Terminator 2. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, he's been in a bunch of things. And um, he's a really nice guy. And uh, I love – I I felt like when he was cast, it gave some authenticity to the show right off the bat. You know, like because it's all right. One of the major characters, sons son, playing him. That adds something. That shows something. Um, And that relationship is fascinating. I mean, you're Norm Niffin. You're a cocky point guard. You're really good. Like, really good. One of the five best point guards in the NBA – You're in L.A., you're playing with this legendary figure, Kareem, you're a centerpiece of this team, and, then oh, they're drafting a new point guard. And not only that, he's this sort of, you know, outgoing, handsome, dynamic guy who's coming in, and you have to deal with it. Um, It's one of the great awkward battles in, uh, in modern sports. I really love it. And they did come, you know, Norman Magic wound up okay, and then, of course, Norm was traded to the Clippers, which at the time was like being sent off to Siberia. Uh, but you know, they worked out well. They played well together. The idea of running two point guards actually could work on a team. So,
0: it, like the one scene where they had to practice, where they decided they'd both be instead of the A team and B team, they were both the A team, and they started dunking, and that was. And we see that in yeah. basketball now, the positionalist basketball, everybody playing off each other. The other dynamic in the relationship was Magic and Kareem. Uh, the fact, I love the scenes when that the training camp when Magic had to bring the uh, the New York Times or the newspaper and the orange juice and yeah. Kareem was never happy with, with that and how that delved in relationship between Magic being so fun and wanting to, the whole hugging. Like I, I wanted to hug him after the first game and he goes, there's 81 other games. Don't just hug me after the first game.
1: Yeah, actually, I love that moment. Um, I loved it when I was reporting the book, the idea of this guy and he's so happy Like, you beat the Clippers, the crappy Clippers, at the last second. And you think you just won the NBA championship, and you're going crazy, and you will not let go of Kareem, and you just love Kareem. And Kareem's like, seriously, man, we got 81 more games to go. You don't have to be this excited. Um, It's one of the fun – it's one of the most unique pairings in NBA history. I mean, you know, Kobe Shaq was fascinating for its own ways and sort of the yin and yang of it all. But the Magic and Kareem – Uh, personalities were so opposite, just so opposite. And Kareem was used to kind of this quiet way and people being a little bit subservient around him and magic comes along and he's all of a sudden this dynamic, youthful centerpiece. Uh, It was not easy. Um, And I I always think magic did an, an amazing job. He was very deferential. It was always cap you know, this is Cap's team, this is Cap's way, we're, 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 we're going as far as Cap can take us. And he could have been a jackass at that point, and he could have been cocky, and he had a big contract, and it wouldn't have affected him. But he wasn't. He was polite, and he was deferential, and he really tried to sort of focus on Korean first.
0: And would you say, if you're comparing your three-ring circus book where you went through the Kobe and Shaq dynamic, Kobe did not have that deference towards Shaq, and I get that was, that was the one no. thing I'm seeing from reading both books.
1: Yeah, there's a lot more hostility between Shaq and Kobe than between Magic and Kareem. With Magic Kareem, I would say it was more frustration on Magic's part. I want to run, 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 and this guy is just slowing down center. But it wasn't, uh, there was no, you know, ill will or disrespect. And Shaq, Kobe was definitely ill will and disrespect.
0: We're talking to Jeff Perlman, author of the book Showtime, which is the book that's based, the winning time is based on. uh, Just a few more questions in terms of, uh, the whole Boston, Larry Bird, the rivalry. I mean, you could not, as I said, Shakespeare could not come up with this. The fact that they're on two different coasts, two different towns. You have two players, Magic and Larry, that are totally different. Two franchises that are different. Two owners that are different. I mean, it's just amazing. And the fact that it, it's too bad. They played in a nine, was both like a nine-year period. They played three times in the finals. You would, you would hope that there would have been like a seven-year war where they would battle every single year. But it was just that rivalry. And I think that your book and of course the TV show brings that out.
1: Uh, Yeah, I love it. There's a scene, my favorite scene in the whole first season is, um, and it didn't really happen, it's sort of just emblematic, is uh, Magic. And um, the Lakers come to Boston, and there's a press conference with uh, Magic and Bird. And Magic is all giddy, and Bird is like, let's just get this thing over with. And Bird is spitting into a tin can. Uh, The actor who plays Bird, Sean Patrick Small, is just freaking so good. And he wasn't the original guy. He cast cast, uh, Bo Burnham for the role. And he dropped out at the last minute for some reason. And they got this guy, Sean Patrick Small, pretty unknown. And uh, he just nails it, like nails Bird. And I love the moment he just spins tobacco into a can. Let's get this this thing on. And, you know, he just has nothing. He doesn't even want to look at Magic. He just hates Magic Johnson. It's my favorite scene in the first season.
0: I mean, the TV show spent a lot of time talking about McKinney. Is he going to come back? Is he not? When I interviewed Westhead, and even your book said it's, it was pretty assumed that he wasn't. You mentioned in the book that he showed up at a Laker game and Bus came up to him and didn't didn't he didn't recognize him. And I mean, the TV show was actually went to his house, but uh, that just whole dynamic. I mean, I I can't even think of any other thing in sports where a coach gets hurt and then is sort of healthy enough to coach and is he good? Is he able to come? You see it about players, but rarely from coaches.
1: No, it's all very Shakespearean. It really is, and um, I'm telling you, it's a freaking tragedy. It's such a tragedy. This guy. He gets his job. It's a dream. He's a really smart coach. The players like him. And not only does he fall, does he have a bike accident? And not only does he land on his head, flipping over the handlebars, but he does it going to play tennis with the guy who will wind up replacing him. So he was, I mean, you know, it's, it's absolutely crazy. And he's a thing I always found amazing is he, he was a John Doe in the hospital. That's how different the times were. The head coach of the Los Angeles Lakers is unidentifiable. and Nobody knows who he is when he's brought to the hospital. Um, Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, again, it, it makes me really happy that this show brings some attention to Jack McKinney because his story is worth telling. The
0: 1980 NBA finals where they played the Sixers uh, and won, of course, I I love the fact that the TV show and your book highlighted the, the play that Kareem did in five, the fact that he sprains his ankle and it, it can't even walk but comes back and has that monster game in five, and then, of course, uh, mm-hmm. Magic jumping center in six. But that whole aspect, oh, it's just so exciting to watch it, even when Riley got in the movie. I don't know if that was true or not, when Riley gave him the results of the uh, Magic, the results of the uh, rookie of the year voting. But uh, that finals game and how the, both of it, that was just such a seminal moment. I mean, people talk about, we'll talk about that for 100 years from now.
1: Uh, I don't know if they'll be talking about a hundred years from now, maybe fifty years from now. It's uh yeah, it was amazing. I mean the whole idea of Magic stepping in, the whole idea that your point guard is gonna play center is ridiculous. And that he insists he's gonna my favorite thing is he he walks onto the uh he walks onto the plane and um this is in the book. He walks onto the plane and he goes, Never fear Mother Blank and Magic Johnson is here. <laughs> and he sits, you know, he sits in Kareem's seat usually reserved seat in the plane and all the other guys kind of roll their eyes like oh who is this guy and um it's just you know it's just magical i, I not to be cliche it really was magical and you know he, he's shooting the baby hook and he just yeah i maybe they will be talking about 100 years now it's one of the great performances in the history of the nba <laughs>
0: Um, Jeannie Buss has given a great role in this. I mean, I loved because I like from the business perspective, her idea to come up with the Laker girls and her to say, you know, this is what Jerry Buss wants and this is the vision and the Forum Club and those things. Your book doesn't highlight her so much. Um, is it something that they felt like this was necessary in order to get maybe a Laker buy-in on the scene? Or was she actually involved? I mean, it seems like, was she actively involved in the beginning of this, working with Claire Rothman, who was the director of program of the whatever promotion for the uh, uh, Forum at the time?
1: I mean, it was their decision. I have no problem with it. Um, it kind of ties it to the modern Lakers. Um, I don't think her role was quite as quite as large as it's made out to be in the show. That's okay, dramatic license. Um, you know, she became obviously something huge, and I think it, I do think it's important to sort of show the dynamic between her and her dad, and that she was early on dismissed and kind of set aside, and he really wanted to sort of cater more toward the sons. But you know, as we've learned, Jerry Bust's sons are a bunch of knuckleheads. Jeannie was the brains in that family, so yes, yeah, she doesn't. She barely appears. I mean, I love Jeannie. Um, she she was very helpful with both books, but they definitely gave her a heightened role in the series that she didn't have in the in the book. That
0: scene in game uh, game five in Philly when uh, Jerry brings his two sons to the game and has Jeannie stay at home, and then they're sitting in the stands yep. and not even you know going crazy, not even paying attention to the game. That was a great scene. What Yeah,
1: what, I agree.
0: What's next season? I mean, they're it's been picked up for next year. What do you think they're going to just do the whole next to final year which I don't want to give anything away, but guess what the Lakers do not make the finals, but is what what is the plans for the next season in terms of the the episodes?
1: Next season, aliens attack. <laughs> and Mark more comes out of a spaceship and kidnaps Magic Johnson. It's a total twist on the Lakers series. <laughs> um, I don't I'm not really supposed to say. I know it goes into the next uh, two years. Um, So the next two seasons in the book basically are um, they lose to Houston the following year when with Westhead as a coach. And then the following year, um, magic kind of leads a revolt and it's the rise of Pat Riley. So I know it delves into those. I don't know. They're writing it now, so I don't have any amazing specifics for you.
0: Maybe they draft Kobe Bryant, Shaquille O'Neal comes, the friction between Kushak and Kareem, or those things. But and then also, Jeff, I know you have a book coming out in October, and you're taught, you you pick. Not only are you the one of the best. What I like about your writing style is that you. Talk about these athletes and you don't just say magic's this, magic that, but it's through the lenses of all the other players that were on the team, what they saw, what they and but I just that's what I love in all the books that you wrote. But you have this Bo Jackson that the topics are also great with these great characters, and you have Bo Jackson, who a lot of people I think forgot. I mean Bo Jackson has sort of disappeared, but at one point growing up, I mean, Bo Jackson was everything. He was LeBron, Tom Brady, combined as one person.
1: I mean, I had, I had multiple Bo Jackson posters on my wall as a kid. And, um, I still think he's the greatest athlete who's ever lived. Uh, I went hard in this one. I interviewed about 720 people and deep dive. I mean, the the guy was insane. I mean, the guy, he grew up in, uh, Alabama. He went to McAdory high school and his senior year, he won the state decathlon and hurt his ankle But the next year in a state playoff game, baseball, his coach needed him to pitch. He hadn't pitched all year. He literally hadn't pitched all year. The day before he won the state decathlon, he starts in the state playoff game, strikes out 15 batters, gets the win. He was a ridiculous athlete. Everything he did was utterly preposterous. Um, In high school, he stole 91 out of 92 bases all time. Uh, I mean, he's just like everything he did. There are a million stories of him jumping over cars and, jumping out of pools, like, flat-footed out of pools that are up to his waist, and, you know, from the all-star home run to the Harold Reynolds throw to running over Brian Bosworth, on and on and on, to coming back with an artificial hip. Um, He's just mythology, sports mythology brought to life.
0: Jeff, I'm so excited. And this book is going to come out in October. It's still October, right?
1: Yep, October.
0: Can't wait to, cannot wait to read it. Jeff, I know, thank you for this time. I've been really, really appreciated. I'm a total... Follower of your books and also the show times. I'm probably going to see it another two more times. I love it. I get people who don't watch it, I'm like, I'll watch it with you. Like, let's go watch it because I feel like <laughs> I feel like I'm spreading the gospel of winning time because it's. I go. This is really really good. Like, I don't like basketball. I, I people that don't like basketball have watched this and love it. So that's what I like so much about the show.
1: My mom. Hey, my mom has no has never watched an NBA game, and she really likes the show. So there you go.
0: Well, Jeff, thanks a lot uh, for coming on Iron Sports. I. Really, really appreciate it. And best luck with your, with Bo Jackson's book. All right. Thank you, Ryder.